Who do you work for, really? Each one of us has a calling. Have you heard this before? Your workplace is your mission field, wherever that may be. You either work for him or work against him, but you work for someone. Who do you really work for? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, yourself, or your Lord? This isn't a trick question. There is a right answer. You're either all in or all out. Are you for him? I am. In fact, I work for him. Hey, Jim, who do you work for? I work for him. I work for Jesus Christ. I want to be your let me introduce you to the host of the I Work For Him show, Jim Brangenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've tuned into the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Take a minute and listen. I Work For Him, is, it's not a program that you sign up for. It's a mentality. It's a way of living. It's a permanent shift in your Christ-following paradigm. It's a revolution that's happening in the workplace, and it's about bringing the kingdom of God into places where the kingdom is ignored. Keep in mind that your existence in your workplace, it's not by chance. It doesn't matter what you do or where you do it. Whether you're a pastor, a car mechanic, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a used car salesperson, your work, it matters to God. And he expects you to be his representative in your workplace. And in your workplace, to recognize that that's your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Now, I know you've heard me say this tons and tons of times, but every day we need to be reminded that going to work is not just to draw paychecks so we can buy groceries. Going to work every day is an opportunity to be a light for Christ. Each day on the I Work For Him show, we try to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. I don't come to you as an expert. I don't come to you as somebody that's got this all figured out. I'm just one guy trying to live my life transparently so that you can maybe gain something in order to be an effective witness for Christ in your workplace. Our paradigm shift is described like this. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Welcome to the I Work Ram Zone. I hope you're never the same. All week long, we've been talking about the healthy, holy habits of a Christ follower. On Monday, we talked about rest and really enjoying the Sabbath rest and why God intended the first day of our weeks to be rest. And on Tuesday, Martha and I talked about contentment because there's nothing more important in the lives of a growing Christ follower than to learn to be content, as Paul says in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. But today, as it is appropriate on 9-11, we're talking about the holy habit of sacrifice. We have Neil Zimmerman on the line with us today, calling in from, well, from some unnamed location, joining us on the show today to talk about sacrifice. Neil, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Jim. Thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate you being on the show. I, I appreciate that uh, you're willing to share your story uh, because your story is something that everybody needs to hear. Now, Neil, I have a very special guest in studio, live right next to me in the studio. Guest, would you like to welcome Neil? Hey there, Neil. It's Brother John. How you doing, man? Hey, John. How are you, brother? Uh, doing well. At the last minute, I was talking with John, and I said, John, just join me in the studio today. You're the one that hooked me up with Neil, and in case you guys start talking about things that I have no idea what they are, at least John can talk that same language with you. So, you know, Neil, you come to us with a long history of service to our country. You have uh, served in the, the well, I don't even, you, your resume was a whole page. I can't possibly read your whole bio online because we run out of time. What I really want to start off the show is a basis I do with every show guest. I want you to share how Christ has impacted 
your life. So you can take that from there, and, and we'll run from there, and we'll get talking about sacrifice. But let's just first talk off the basis of how has Christ impacted your life, Neil? Well, we could go on. Let's let's start back in uh, a little bit more about me that that might shape some of the uh, the answers that I give you. I, I come from a large family of, of eight, um, brought up by a, a, a single mother. I'm number se- number seven out of out of eight. I had one uh, brother. Uh, he was number two. So the two boys were two and seven, with six girls in between and, and on each edge. Um, so you know, I grew up an only child most of the time. My my brother spent uh, his time as a teenager in early twenties in Vietnam, and my my dad was not part of the family at that. At uh, at that juncture, so um, at about seven or eight, I I began to notice that you know I was a guardian of life, whether it be induced by being the only male in the family or having six sisters or just part of growing up. I'm not so sure, but that developed quickly in my teen years into joining the military and joining special operations, and and there we go down that whole line of um, you know, emergency medical training and first responder stuff, and then more elaborate stuff with the military, obviously. So, um, yes, things we can't talk about because they're secret. Well, yeah, I mean, we can talk about uh, John can pull it out of me. He, he's pretty, he's pretty cagey about that. So um, the 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 thing is, is that I, how how it impacted it's continually impacting. Uh, so I wouldn't even put it in past tense because from that age of six or seven, that was better refined for me at seventeen or eighteen, which moved me to join the military at seventeen. Um, and come out as a Green Beret some two and a half years later after some pretty intense training uh, in the medical field. So that was the start of, okay, what next, and then what next, and then what next. And so as I kept walking through these doors that I didn't know were going to be open to me, um, more was revealed, and, and um, it just continues on. It's, uh, it's just another chapter right now. But at what point in time, though, did you recognize the fact that, wow, Jesus is who I need at the center of my life? Because you've been in, like you said, the, the guardian of light, is what you want to say, but you're a guy that likes to serve people. When everybody's running out of the building, you're the guy that wants to run back into the building. At what point in time did you put Jesus at the center of that life? I think, uh, I think this is late teens. Um, this is the first jumps out of airplanes. This is the first really... <laughs> um, really shots close to you you're you know you're very young in the military but you're very well trained um and street savvy uh, you know you haven't been in the military very long two and a half three years but you're looked up to with the medical skills of you know a mini doctor uh, quite frankly but the, but you still are not battle hardened it's like okay these guys know what they're doing i know what i'm doing but i there's something higher that i'm i i'm listening to there's something that's guiding me and it was very obvious um, in the early, I would say, you know, 21, 22, okay, um, I, this is it. I'm, I'm following Jesus, and I was baptized at that time, and I was rebaptized once uh, at a later time with my, with my wife. Hmm, that's fantastic. All right, so today's, today's 9-11. And uh, that's one of the reasons why you're on here. You've got quite a story, and it doesn't start on 9-11. It really starts way back when, in 1998. Why don't you just begin starting to share a little bit of your story uh, of how you were in the wrong places at just the right time uh, in your life. <laughs> yeah, that well put. Um, took me a while to come to that. Um, uh, some folks come to that really quickly. That was a long spiritual struggle for me. Um, the latter part of my of my active duty career, I was in a position where I was supporting some folks in 
doing some work in in Kenya and was uh, was very nearby when the when the embassy was um, was hit there. And uh, a further you know a further assignment uh, a few years later, nineteen. Uh, actually, it was two. Well, wait a minute, you're downplaying this a little bit. Okay, so you're in that was in Nairobi, Kenya. Right in 1998, it, you know, as I heard the story, you had just walked out or just recently left the embassy right before it was blown up. Well, yeah, it was a couple minutes before, and a, a um, couple minutes. Okay, all right. I was I was I was around the corner. I was on the same block uh, when the embassy was hit, and then uh, we quickly got busy getting rid of um, you know doing what we need to do with embassy gear to to secure the place. The, the next one um, was the USS Cole. I was. Uh, I was in uh, Yemen at the time. I was working in the Middle East, living in Bahrain, and one of the activities was to uh, greet some of the uh, military activities that were going on in the region, and the coal was coming in for a port visit, and, you know, it was attacked. And there again, um, I'm standing on the dock, and it's like, okay, we've done all this planning to get this ship in here, and now it's hit, and now what do we do? Um, So a bit of a spiritual warfare on that day, which led me to... And today we're talking about the healthy, holy habit of sacrifice. Neil, you were talking about how your service led you to be in Nairobi, Kenya, and you had just left the embassy a couple of minutes before it was blown up in 1998. And later on in your service, and I'm trying to remember what the... the in October of 2000, uh, you happened to be in... Let's see, that was that was in Yemen. Yemen? Yemen. Yemen. Yemen, sorry, Yemen. Uh, you were in Yemen when the the USS Cole was attacked. You were right at the docks when that was attacked, and that's where we left off right before the break. Right. So that was another. That was one of those um, another one of those events where you, you think you've done everything to help them pull this off successfully, from what you know, and uh, still um, you they, they get they're able to get to us, and it was very frustrating during that time frame because. We had known of the Al-Qaeda threat, and uh, we had been doing some work in the area, and so it was a bit of a cat-and-mouse game, and then for have a, you know, to have a direct hit uh, right, right there in front of you wasn't, uh, wasn't very pleasing. So that, you know, that went on, and then uh, very shortly after that, actually, just a few months in uh, 2001, May or June of 2001, I, I left the Middle East, came back for a cool-out tour on the joint staff at the Pentagon, and uh, took over leading the 15 different peacekeeping operations that um, we supported through the United Nations uh, around the world. So, you know, um, harbored in, in Washington, D.C., my hometown, Washington, you know, watching the kids grow up, go through college, that was all fairly stable until uh, 9-11 of 2001 when, while in the building, um, you know, the plane flew into the building and it starts all over again. And that was a life changer, of course. It changed the world that day. And... Um, got very busy from that point on trying to figure out what does all this mean and where am I supposed to be next? Where's the next? You know, commanders are always trying, always trying to figure out um, where, where's the smartest place, where's the most important place on the battlefield to be. And I just happened to be in the, in the proximity of these three events, but they weren't positive. So I was trying to figure out what, what the good Lord was trying to tell me about this. And as John may be able to share a little bit more eloquently than I, we figured out that this wasn't a negative thing at all, which I took it as. It was a positive thing, and that uh, it took me a while to flip it around as something more encouraging. Uh, it was a lot of spirit, a lot of spiritual battle went on uh, as to my effectiveness and, and uh, being in the proximity and the long-term searches for little pieces of information. That Hey, Neil. Yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> um, why don't you share for a minute... Uh, how 
there used to be one theme to across these three events and earlier events in your life. There used to be one theme, and you finally realized that was the enemy. That really wasn't the voice of truth. And then God introduced you to another theme about the same three events, and and um, there was one joke about being near you, and you turned it into a different joke, a much truer joke about what does it mean to be in proximity to Neil. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I, I may have so glossed over it or didn't didn't hit it at all. Um, this is this is the this is the problem of being feeling inadequate in a very high skill set uh, around you know people and mission sets and and feeling like you're so close but you still miss the target every time, and it just was uh, degrading to some degree and I'm sure it was to others like me as well and to some even more so that you could never hit the mark you can never get it done no matter what you do you'll never be successful um, at at this uh, at this goal and so. Um, these three events became three negative things that look, looks like wherever I go, there's a disaster close by. And that was kind of the joke when I mentioned it to folks that I was involved in, in these three events and lots of other events in between these three events. They say, well, I'm staying away from you. And it took me a long time to figure out that, no, actually what God's saying to me to make sure to tell them is, no, you want to stay closer. Um <laughs> It's, yeah, it's actually best to stand right next to you. <laughs> they use the analogy, they say, what? And I said, well, if you're going to get kicked by a horse, one of two things. You know, either don't, don't you know, look it straight in the eye or just stay so close to it that it can't, it can't kick you. So the, the, the thing did become, it was a joke at first, and now it's become, you know, let's call Neil when one of these things arrives. So I've been doing some consulting here in recent years after the retirement in 2005. Well, Jim, I hope that helps a little bit with those. Well, well, it does, and it's really what's some. You know, we're we're talking about sacrifice today, and your life has been shaped by sacrifice. Uh, You've watched other people sacrifice their sacrifice their lives on behalf of other citizens of the United States. You've watched people sacrifice their lives on uh, just to fight the bad guys in other parts of the world. And I know there's all kinds of things you can't talk about. And John wanted to talk about some some night in what was it Taiwan? No. you know, I couldn't talk about. You're not it. supposed to go there, Jim. Oh, that's right. Sorry. <laughs> um, anyway, so the uh, that was just a joke. Anyway, the uh, but it, you're talking about sacrifice, but our lives are shaped by that. How how was your life shaped to be a life of sacrifice? Were your parents great examples of people who led by sacrifice? Well, I I think they probably were. As I mentioned earlier, my I, I didn't have a whole lot of influence from my father. He he left the family very early. Uh, I think I was about two, so I, I wasn't shaped by him that much. My brother wasn't around. We were 10 years different. Uh, I was shaped by um, individuals that came into my life. I have, you know, a very special friend of, you know, 40 years, uh, you know, uh, or more that, um, you know, we, we got to be really good friends when I was young, and, and uh, he and I, he's like a f- another father to me. So, yeah, they, those were sacrificial people, and certainly my mother was a uh, one to sacrifice and, and, you know, sometimes two or three jobs um, to to sustain a house for, for that many number of children. So, yeah, the, the, I guess the parents were, were to some extent influential. Hey, Neil, i got a question for you. Um, when you think in terms of people that go into what we call the guardian professions, you know, they they decide they're going to take the job, uh, especially, uh, you know, a lot of the listed, enlisted folks and people that are just paramedics, they're you know they're they're not they're not what they're paid is you know not in the right ratio for the risk they take and yet they feel that's what they need to do you know there's something about what they do uh that 
that creates closure for them, you know, risking your life, usually on behalf of strangers. Um, have you seen any parallels between people drawn to the guardian community, guardian professions, and the gospel, the story of Jesus? Oh, yeah, we, we've talked about this on numerous occasions. Of course, there's, there's um, the same, the same um, analogies you could pull in parallels across, you know, the disciples themselves and Jesus himself, uh, himself and, and just the way they lived and, and the way that he taught for his years on, the, on this earth. Um, so, yes, always giving, and that's, that's what we do, kind of. You know, we do strange things for strange people. I mean, there's there's circles, of course, with the close family and then the extended family and our and our brothers and sisters in Christ and so forth. Then there's an outer circle, and then you know, quite frankly, it could be anybody on a bus, a train, or an airplane that we extend to for whatever given reason. Um, that's one of the unexplainable pieces of it. And all we can say is we do strange things for strange people, and there's for, for strangers, and there's a lot of there's a lot of that out there. I think it's kind of neat in honor of uh, those who are in the guardian profession or have been that I don't know if they've thought of this or not, but they're they're reliving the story of the gospel. You know, they're they're rushing in to someone who doesn't know them and may not even deserve their help, and uh, they're they're rushing in to save that life, to give that life a second chance. And uh, I'm thankful you've decided to do that for your career, and you, you probably have no clue as to how many people you've touched, and hopefully there's a an aspect of the reception in heaven where you get to meet all these these souls that you've impacted. It is kind of neat to, to, every once in a while, every few years, somebody, you know, a blast from the past will come back and say, you don't remember me, but I was one of your cadets at Georgetown. Or, you know, we served together. I was the, you know, mess sergeant or something. And, and you know, some of them I remember, a lot of them that I, I don't. But they, those ones that come back and have a story like, you convinced me to start my first college course or... You taught me how to shoot better, or just those small little things that made a big difference in their life at that particular point, and then it led on to different types of relationships as far as um, leading them to the Lord or, or some kind of continued mentor program. Now, you talk about sacrifice, and you talk about, you know, the ultimate sacrifice, of course, is what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has done for each one of us and everybody listening. You know, there, we there's no hope in life without what Christ has done for us. But you were in a in a in a career that sacrifice was what you were there to do. You were there to be well, your life could save hundreds of thousands of people. If you were in contact with the wrong people, that could save lots and lots of other people. How did how did your mindset change after you committed your life to Christ? Yet you'd already committed yourself to the career you said to the Green Berets and eventually special ops. How did your life change after you gave your life to Christ? in context of that job start listening a lot more (laughs) what do you mean i had to continually stay in prayer and make sure that i was in sync and focused on what it is he wanted me to do and where he wanted me to do it certainly there are you know i i've talked to john about this many times It's it's like why are you choosing me to go to this place and do that right now why um it's another half a year or a year away from my you know my wife and kids why me why can't Tom, Dick, or Harry go do this one. And it comes back very clear, Neil, this one's yours. And and then you figure out why most of the time, maybe years later. But that, that it just, as the years go on now, and even in my position now, you, I have to be very careful in that, you know, the, because there are lots of decisions that may be made off of what is said in conversations or what is done. So, you know, as I went through those 26 years on active service, and then you get up to to writing and being a part of 
the Joint Staff and the Office of Secretary of Defense and things are circulating around Washington. They become laws and they be, become action for somebody to do. And as you you know, you go from that private to colonel. At least in my my um, experience, um, every once in a while you're taking a pause to say, "Whoa, let me back up and let me make sure that I'm in prayer. I'm in prayer about this, and I'm in. I'm walking with him on this decision because it's huge." Right. Yeah. No. Every just about everything you do had major impact. All right. So so you and when we come back after the bottom of the half hour, I want to go. We'll, we'll continue to take the conversation. But you know, you're a man that lived through. You know, you walked out of the embassy in Nairobi, Kenya, right before it blew up. You were on the docks when the USS Cole was bombed. You were you you were were you in the Pentagon or were you walking out of the Pentagon when it got hit by by the American flight uh, seventy seven? No, I was actually in the Pentagon and on the phone with my wife. Uh, I told her, you know, begin watching CNN and record, I'm going to be late. Um, somebody just flew some planes into the building, and it wasn't a mistake. And then while we were on the phone, the plane hit the, the, the Pentagon, so I got to mm. go. Yeah. I bet I bet that was a short conversation. We've been talking with Neil Zimmerman and John Norsworthy, two gentlemen out of millions that have served our country in the last 30 years to protect us, to keep us safe, and to give us the ability to have a freedom in our country that is not recognized anywhere else in the world. These two guys have fought on the lines for you and I to be able to have a freedom of religion. And yes, even the people that don't agree with us, they've got the freedom to worship the way they want to. We've got freedom of speech. These are guys, whether you agree with war or not, these are guys that have fought for our safety around the world. And we've got Neil Zimmerman. Neil has been in the wrong place at the right time several different times in his life. And if you missed the first half of the show, you got to go back and listen. But Neil, our guest, calling him from D.C. today, he was in, right near the embassy in Nairobi, Kenya in 1998 when it was blown up. And he was right on the docks when the USS Cole was blown up in 2000. And then he was also uh, in the Pentagon when Flight 77 was rammed into the side of the Pentagon. You know, and as John and I were talking, John Norsworth and I were talking during the break, you know, 9-11 was really about a different sector of our country. It was really about the first responders and those people not necessarily in uniform overseas. That's what it became afterwards. It was about the guys here locally that give up everything to sacrifice on a day in and day out basis. The police officers, the firefighters, the uh, EMS guys, the uh, emergency guys. These are the guys that sacrifice their lives trying to go in and save people who had been attacked by those terrorists. Neil, the question I've got, just going back into this, you know, comparing how sacrifice, what sacrifice means to you today versus what it meant to you when you first entered the armed forces, you, you were uh, an emergency uh, responder before you went into the service, correct? Yes, I actually, um, I started a career in emergency medicine um, to some degree. You know, I was an EMT and, and new CPR and a life, you know, lifeguard and that. But I, I joined the military very young. And I got, uh, I, I received most of my uh, pre-hospital care from the military and graduated as a special forces medic, which is one of the harder um, types of jobs to have on, on the teams. Um, hard in that, you know, it's complicated and it's hard to do in the types of environment that we have to have to be in. But the, then I came back, you know, after I finished that training and, and went through uh, college for a degree in emergency medicine. So, yes, I was serving in the medical field prior to the military. So when you look at 
you know, you went into the service, you actually went into an EMT knowing that sacrifice was necessary. You were going to see things that would leave images in your mind forever. And then you went into the service and you joined the Green Beret knowing that you were going to go places that not many people would be called to go and that you may never return. You, you, had, a, you had a view of sacrifice then versus your view of sacrifice today. How has that changed? Well, it's, um, now it's, it's quite different. As I look back on, on the sacrifices, and John and I have gone through this, uh, the families, you know, we, we still, um, I retired in 2005. I am still playing catch-up with my own children and extended family uh, on, on relationships that didn't get to be nurtured during those 26 years on active duty and 18 of it being in the Middle East. So, there's still a lot of um, healing to be done. There's still uh, a lot of uh, catching up to do, and um, you know, just a lot of there's still sacrificial issues from that time that that um, that still um, Im- impact us today. Hmm. You know, the uh, there, there's people out there listening today. Hey, John, you asked the question. The, the, the people beginning in it, they're in a transition. To that question. Yeah. So. Neil, there's a lot of people that are either at the beginning of figuring out what they're going to do with their career or they're in a mid-career standpoint where they just really haven't felt a satisfaction and they feel a leading in, in, a, in a different direction. But let's say those people are feeling, they feel they're being called, led into um, a trajectory where sacrifice is required. And uh, you know, maybe they feel led into a guardian profession to be, you know, a soldier, a national security professional, a first responder, a law enforcement, firefighter. And um, they're hearing the different voices around them going, well, you know, you're going you're gonna to miss out on a lot. You know, you're going to be away. And yet inside of them, they feel drawn to that. What's advice you have for people beginning their career or in mid-career transition where they feel they're listening, like you said. They feel God's leading them in a direction, but they're facing this mountain of sacrifice in order to take the next couple steps. Don't miss your calling, but make sure you're being called. So in that, you know, very young, it started to shape for me um, in the teen years and in the early 20s. I knew I was being called. I was very comfortable giving up the opportunity to go directly into college uh, but to join the military and, and go and try something that was pretty much unheard of at that age group. But once again, um, don't miss the calling. If you're being, if you're being called and you're sure that that, that, that is the direction, now, you don't have to be 100% in what direction per se down to a particular job, but in particular field, if, if, whether it be the military, whether it be military intelligence or, or whatever whatever it is, um, try to be as specific as possible and drive that way. But make sure that's, that, that's, that's what he, he is asking you to do, not something that you or somebody else has asked you to do. Hmm, those are good words. You know, uh, Neil, as, as we think about this, I, I really want to... You know, this is an, a very unique workplace. You know, this show is all about purposefully equipping vibrantly effective Christ followers in a workplace. And your workplace and special operations is not a workplace that that even thousands of people will ever experience. Only hundreds of people get to experience this. How were you able to be an example of Christ in these really unique, intense, dangerous situations? You know, the, the, the physical and the mental strains hit, hit everybody differently depending on where we were and, and what, what the situation was. The spiritual wars, for me, <clears throat> were quite 
were quite common in that um, in normally always in a leadership position of some point, you know, I know, you know, the, the leading from the front and being sure of, of the decisions you're making that have other people's lives in your hands, you know, it's, it's uh, monumental. You, um, you know, that, that I guess was, again, staying, staying in the word and staying focused on what he wanted me to do and when, um, you know, led that 26-year active duty career to, you know, I, I came home with all my pieces and parts and I didn't lose anybody uh, directly under my watch um, during that time frame as well. Wow, that's that's saying something. Were you ever given opportunities to share what Christ has done in your life while in these intense situations, or even after these intense situations? Were you given an opportunity to share? Oh, absolutely, individually and in groups and to different to different folks from different nation states uh, around campfires and tents and eating with your hands with all kinds of different folks uh, trying to share their religion with me at the same time. So there was lots of opportunities to. To, to share, um, and, and amongst us, amongst those that I was working with as well, sometimes uh, some good opportunities there one on one, and some of those guys that have been downrange with me are very close friends and and uh, Christ followers today. Now, did you? Did anybody ever come up to you and say, you know what, Neil? I noticed you're a different kind of special ops guy than anybody else. Well, what's different about you? You know, what are you, some kind of religious nut or anybody? I mean, did, did, did anybody ever call you out and say, hey, you're different? I'm not sure what it is. Did they, did they ever call you out like that? Uh, yeah, they. I mean, at times, not not really, not in a badgering kind of way. It's more. It was more. I don't know how what John's experience was, but it was more. more well, of course, they're not going to badger you. You could kill them with your bare hands, so they're not going to badger you. Yeah, but, but all of his peers were killers too. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they're my peers. So this is a this is a game of chess here. <laughs> this is an opportunity to share with them. Um, you just have to do the dance with them. They, no one's going to call each other out that in that form, but. It would come in the form of questions. Well, what do you think about? And we get on a subject, and I and I'd share with them my thoughts on abortion or my thoughts on you know whatever the topic. And so that's where you get the end around play to get in their head a little bit and share with them, and it kind of stays no harm, no foul. But then they normally come back for more information. Hey Neil, I I, uh, I celebrate. Uh, I've really gotten a chance to celebrate your life after you got out of uniform. Um, it's interesting to me, you know, as your friend, uh, watching the different types of people God collects around you. You know, it seems like I, I, I actually haven't known of a time where there's another player that I didn't know about before who's going through a life crisis. Maybe, maybe, usually wasn't even in the military, but they're in, they're in their own little crisis. You know, they're stuck in an addiction. They're stuck in deep depression. They've lost a loved one. It, it seems that God has given you a calling where these people gravitate to you, and you're still helping rescue people out of um, the crisis within their own minds, their own conscious. Have you, can you talk about this experience? We've got on the line Neil Zimmerman calling in from Washington, D.C. Neil's former special ops and has been in some very unusual places at just the right time in his lifetime. we got in studio John Nordsworthy, another special ops guy. Both of these guys have lived a life of sacrifice for our country. And to them and all the others out there in the armed services and in the first responder services in our country and around the world, our hat's off to you. Thank you for living a life of sacrifice and being an example every day of what Jesus did for us on the cross. John, you mentioned that 9-11 was important for our nation. Why? I think um, it it wakes people up to realize that if you're in a situation 
that seems normal to you, a lot of times you assume there's no sacrifice being taking place. But what you don't realize is oftentimes there's other people that are sacrificing tremendous amounts so that you experience normal. Um, you know, we live in a nation where we we took it for granted for a long time that oh, everything was hunky-dory, but there were people serving on the front lines before 9-11. Um, there were pe- since the founding of our country, there's been people that have been putting themselves at risk so that we experience a normal. There's places where I've been where 9-11 events happen, you know, every other week. You know, suicide bombings were happening, you know, 10, 15 times a week. And, and that was their normal. Um, and, you know, w- the other thing we don't think about a lot of times is uh, 9-11 highlighted what certain professions go through. I mean, we we don't realize that, you know, e- even guys that are uh, paramedics, for example, um, we don't think a lot about them until a 9-11 event happens or unless we were in Iraq or whatever. But we don't realize that these people are staying in a profession where they may, you know, a lot of them are encountering death a couple times a month or more. The image is within their head, and, you know, we don't usually think about those types of things. You know, while we're sitting at home watching our favorite TV show, there's a guy, you know, pulling somebody out of a car, and now he has to realize, okay, either the parent's dead and the child's alive or the child's alive and the parent's dead, you know, or vice versa. Right. And and yet they keep going to work. They keep doing this, you know. And I, I think um, – there was something our country had never really given that perspective. Right. The first responders, and, and really, with all those first responders that died when the towers fell. Absolutely. I mean, there was hundreds of guys all around. I mean, you, you, the sights and the sounds will never leave our mind. Yep. Uh, but that's why we want to thank them. We want to thank those first responders that are out there all over our country that serve us each and every day to give us that normal. You asked Neil a question right before the break about... You know, how he's continuing to be a guardian for people today. Neil, that you're involved in, in guardian work today, and you're rescuing people today, maybe not with the gun and in a swamp somewhere, you know, sucking air out of a tube as you're, you know, hitting up. I don't want to talk about those things. You can't talk about them, but I saw it on TV once. <laughs> Neil, how are you serving and sacrificing for people today? Oh, it's a lot of fun. I, it reminds me some of the comments that John made in when you went back to 9 11 in the Pentagon. Um, <clears throat> You know, just watching that billow of smoke uh, and standing on, on the Potomac side, here I was in what we call Class Bs, you know, a dress down, um, you know, suit and tie, just without the jacket. And I'm watching our own fighters fly overhead, and I'm watching this big, you know, billow of smoke leave the building, wearing a green beret, and I was like, you know what, I failed it. How in the heck um, did this? we get to this point? But, you know, then I, my, my next... My next um, feeling was, well, let me rush in. I, I know how to help people. But then I thought, one more step. Uh, these guys have this. I know what Arlington, I know what Alexandria and all the uh, different jurisdictions are, are well, you know, well trained. And I am not current right now, and I'm not even, you know, I'd be more of a liability. So I walked down 395, southbound, in dress uniform, was picked up by a guy in a Jeep and said, this is a first, picked up a Green Beret on 395. And that we didn't say a word to each other until he dropped me off later. Um, so with that comes this whole, there I was with the training, and I still couldn't help. But to answer the question, John and I got acquainted um, through uh, a ministry he can speak about, but uh, what rolled off of that ministry was my, my leading to start a ministry near the water um, and give back to first responders, uh, law enforcement, 
uh, types, uh, federal, state, local folks, and, and military that were recovering, especially in the D.C. area because of the proximity to Walter Reed, and this is the final uh, spot where most military folks come for some pretty serious work before they go back to uh, their home states. So it's uh, so I bought this piece of property uh, on the Chesapeake Bay. It's 90 minutes from from uh, Bethesda, where where most are treated, and um, an easy two-hour trip on the weekends to get guys down there, relaxed on the bay, fishing. Uh, we're right on the water itself, and my ministry was let them have a place that's not four white walls. Nothing good happens in hospitals on weekends. Uh, anyway, so get them out of there. So you, these are guys that have been injured in combat, injured in, in serving our country, and you're trying to get them out in a safe place that they can just experience life again, just a little snippet at a time, in a place where they can get on a boat, they can you know yep. throw a rod and you know throw a rod into the water. Well, they could probably do that too, but maybe throw a line into the water, catch some fish, eat some food, and yeah. and, and just start to breathe again. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, the families come to this region to, to visit with them, and, and, you know, they can't afford to stay in, in Washington, the capital region, for more than a week or two. So this offers them a place to visit with their families on a weekend and get the heck out of the hospital scene. And a lot of the guys that live around locally, John and his brother and others, uh, you know, just call, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be in the D.C. area, can I use Bayside? And I'll give the keys to anybody that needs a break, and sometimes they take their family with them, and sometimes they just need to be alone for a day. Um <laughs> What's so it's it's kind of a neat um, it's kind of a neat uh, sanctuary for us all. And John might want to talk a little bit about the sanctuary, which Bayside was one branch thereof. Well, why don't you first give me the website for the ministry that you're involved in up there? Oh, uh, this one uh, for Bayside operations. It's uh, www spec o. Well, let me just s p e c o t n s bayside dot org. So it's specialopsbayside.org, and it'll come right up. All right, I'll have John give me that exactly, and I'll have it on Facebook tonight. I'll have it on my website tonight. Special Ops Bayside. Special Ops Bayside dot org. Yep, you could use Maryland in the search. Okay. Right. All right. Special off base side. Okay. Listen. Before we go, I want to draw attention to our Savior. You know, we've uh, we've talked a lot about the personal sacrifice in the workplace uh, around the country and around the world that you guys have gone through. But obviously, the three of us are sitting here on the air today because of the sacrifice that Christ made for us. John, really quickly, what did that sacrifice mean to you? Really quickly, that was uh, <laughs> well. It saved my life. You know, I was a suicidal teenager. And um, it literally saved my life. I, and then it saved my soul. And then it uh, enabled me to pass on my love to others, my families, my coworkers. And I keep seeing lives saved because I'm able to retell the story of how Jesus saved my life. You know, when, when Christ, when, when I first learned what it truly meant to be a Christ follower, I was willing to give up everything to be a follower from on July the 13th, 1979. I, I, I said, I, you know, here I am, Lord, just send me wherever you want me to go. I never thought that'd be radio, but I thought that'd be some pulpit somewhere or whatever. But it is, uh, you know, Jesus Christ died for me. He died for you, John. He died for you, Neil. He died for each one of us to pay the price for that sin that kept us separated from God. And that sacrifice was the ultimate sacrifice because in doing so, he had to be willing to allow himself to be alienated from his heavenly father, something that never had happened before in history and has never happened since. But in doing that, he broke the curse. He gave us the good news that in Jesus Christ, we have salvation. We have hope. We have 
we can experience God's mercy and his grace in full because of the sacrifice that Jesus did for us. And and that's really the ultimate sacrifice that's been made. And because of that sacrifice, I'm willing to give up everything. Just as John and Neil have been put it on the line, I'm willing to give up everything so that people know that that's out there and available for them. And, and that's really, you know, the, the first step in becoming an I work for him Christian business owner or Christian employees, of course, to give yourself to Christ, to become a true Christ follower, not somebody that's just Christian by name. And and so I just, you know, this has been a great conversation about sacrifice. It's very, very different kind of show. But on 9-11, we've got to remember who we are as a country and what we mean to the world, because our country has set the standard for freedom in our world. And this country was formed because of the freedom we had in Christ. That's what our forefathers were getting. They wanted freedom to worship the way they wanted to go. You're listening to the I Work For Him show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower who owns my own business, but ultimately, I work for him. 